loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Barbara Abercrombie. Barbara's published over 15 books, including The Language of Loss, which we will mostly be talking about today. Two of her books were listed on Poets and Writers Magazine's Best Writing Books of the Year list. Her personal essays have appeared in many national publications and anthologies. She's received the Outstanding Instructor and Distinguished Instructor Awards from UCLA Extension, where she teaches creative writing. She lives in Pasadena, California, with her rescue dogs, Nelson and Nina. To find out more, you can go to barbaraabercrombie.com. Welcome, Barbara. Thank you, Cheryl. Thanks for inviting me. My pleasure. I, I want to start just by reading a, a quote from you, which is uh, something I hear so much on this show. The first sentence is something I hear so much. This was the book I needed. This was the book I needed but couldn't find when my husband died five years ago. I needed poetry to put into words what I was feeling. Ordinary language wouldn't do. Poetry cuts to the chase. Yes, it does. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, why do you think that is? What is it about poetry, for you anyway? Um, because your book, of course, is a collection of poems, and we'll get on to that in a minute. But what do you think it was particularly about poetry that cut to the chase for you? Well, right after my husband died, I had no concentration. I could not read a book. Um, I could I couldn't even read a newspaper and I needed to and poetry poetry was short poetry went goes right to the heart of a matter um there's no uh you know it's not linear it it jumps right in and it was and I think poetry um poetry is is it's about emotion and I just I I I wanted to find poets who had had lost the love of their life and uh, there were a lot of other books that uh, there are not a lot of other books, but there were a number of of um, anthologies about some very good ones. One is called um, the, La uh, um, um, the Art of Losing. Do you know that book? By no, I don't. Edited by Kevin Young. And it's books for grieving. I mean, uh, poems for grieving. And um they're wonderful, but the, I was astonished. Very few of the poems were, were for spouses or partners that were lost. So, and that's what I wanted to read about. And of course, as someone who, who lost my spouse, um, which led to this show, uh, uh, that especially resonated for me, that particular experience captured of losing the person you share your life with in that way. Right. Uh, it, yeah. it, it is a particular, a particular loss. Of course, every loss is different, but also there's a commonality. I resonated so much with so many of the poems that you chose for that anthology. Uh, yes, it is. It's different. And it's in, and I felt almost narcissistic in my grief. I've never, you know, I don't say that very often because it's just, it, but I, I felt, um, 
all grief is terrible. I mean, it's, it hurt. I've lost my parents. That hurt. But um, and I cannot imagine losing a child. But um, but to lose your spouse is the person you've shared your or your partner is the person you've shared your your days with and your daily life with. And I had no idea he had been ill for a year, and I had. And of course, you think there is always the 50-50 chance you're going to lose your spouse or your partner. And um, I, I, I had no idea until it happened what it would be like, though. Um, mm. and, and so you did, uh, he was ill with something that you both thought might take his life, but you, yeah. but you didn't know that it would. Right. I would, I think flip, I think denial is the flip side of, um, you know, of, of, of optimism. <laughs> I was <laughs> trying to be so optimistic and he had gone through many, many health crises. He had gone through an almost fatal heart attack and um, he had had a stroke and he had numerous things. And then he got, he had throat cancer and, um, but I had gotten through breast cancer and it wasn't, you know, I didn't think cancer was a death sentence, but it was very, throat cancer is a very, very difficult form of cancer, obviously. And it doesn't, and he was cured from it. He was cured from it. But then there was sort of a culmination of, of, of all the health issues he had had. And um, he, he, he just wore out basically. And mm. uh, um, yeah, but it was, it was a shy, it was a shy, even though the first couple of months before that happened, uh, he died. I, I, I really, I, I, it was, you know, optimism over denial is all I can say. <laughs> you know, it, I'm, I'm laughing because, uh, in my, my wife died, uh, 25 years ago, this past uh -huh. October, it's November now. Uh -huh. And, uh, and so I have the this long arc, right, of yeah. of experience, and it's amazing the strange things I feel grateful for sometimes. Yeah. Uh, for instance, my wife was sick for ten years, and she was supposed to live six months to a year, uh -huh. and we never had the idea that she wouldn't die. Yeah, we always knew she would. But then she didn't, right? Right. <laughs> there's kind of this ironic uh, den denial was not an option, actually. Right. And so we actually right. grappled with it, and and I feel grateful for that in a strange way. <laughs> you know, I, I, I feel I feel hesitant to say so because I'm not grateful she was she was sick or that she died, but the time I right. I feel grateful for. Right. You had all those extra years. To be time. together, yes, yes, to be together and uh, to do all the weird things we did in that time, including yeah. adopting a child. Um, yes, and, oh, goodness, but, you really have a story, Cheryl. <laughs> oh, have, you, are you, have you written about it? I have written, but not, uh, I wrote a novel that refers to that experience. Oh. Um, but I, ha I am, I'm, slowly approaching a memoir oh, because wonderful. there there are very few uh about same-sex couples there, there are a few as you know but that's, that's true one of the one of the uh the the um, have, have you read heaven's coast 
I haven't. Mark Daly. That is one of the most beautiful memoirs of grief I have ever read. I, I think I've read it three times. I read it. I read it before my husband died, and I, I teach it, and I've read it a number of times. Mark Daly. Mark. Mark Daly. Mark. Um, Mark Doty, Mark Doty, the poet. Oh, and, oh, uh, I've read some of his poetry, but yeah. not not it's, that. It's, You're full of great book references. <laughs> you were you were telling me some before uh, we got on. Also, <laughs> maybe you could share a bit of your own writing from the introduction to your book, um, because okay. I found I found it your introduction, which is prose, but I found it extremely poetic. Oh, okay. I'll read. I'll read just the beginning part of it. Um, okay. What are the right words? The language of condolence, no matter how well intended, irritated me. My husband had not gone to a better place as if he were off on a holiday. He had not passed like clouds overhead, nor was he my late husband as if he'd missed a train. I had not lost him as if I'd been careless. And for sure, none of it was for the best. He had died. And maybe if I heard this and said it often enough, I would finally understand that my husband had disappeared from the face of the earth and was gone forever. I knew, of course, euphemism was offered in kindness, and I was grateful to friends for any attempt to comfort me. But what I really wanted was the language of hard truth and reality. I found myself needing to tell people over and over what had happened those final weeks. I wanted true words for his death, for what I felt. I needed to find a narrative, a story, a container for the chaos. I was learning that grief for someone you loved and shared your life with was far more complicated than I'd ever imagined it could be. I was overwhelmed not only by unspeakable sorrow and loneliness, but also with regret, guilt, confusion, and anger. You know, that... that um that sense of what comforts and what doesn't comfort uh, your your uh, compilation really made me think about because I will I like you find the truth very comforting. Yes, yes. <laughs> you know, and yes. and not, and particularly, I also could not read. Um, I hardly could read at all, even poetry. Uh, when my wife first died, I had to sing, but I am, oh. I am a singer. And oh. so that made logical sense, right? Right, <laughs> right. To... Oh, wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> but, oh, you know, songs are, are poems set to music, really. So. Exactly. <laughs> oh, Cheryl, it's so great for your memoir. I'm getting all excited about <laughs> singing. Oh, oh. Mary Oliver has a poem when her partner was whistling one day and whistling all around the house. And it was the first time she had, after 25 years, she didn't, or 30 years they'd been together. She hadn't realized that, that Mary, I think it was Mary, uh, whistled. And it was just lovely. It makes me think of your singing. That's beautiful. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's not always intuitive, right? You're a writer. Yeah. The, the um, logical thing would be that you would either write or read. Um, but it's not always the thing you expect. It's, uh, I didn't expect to sing every day. I don't sing every day. I'm a singer, but I don't sing every day. I love that. But during that period of time, I just had to. Oh. Um, I, I started writing within about two months, though. I started writing a memoir 
And I had to start with the second part, the part of being uh, after his death. I couldn't write I couldn't write about the year before it was called the year before the year after. And I could only write the year after. And I have a wonderful patient editor uh, agent in New York who kept saying, well, it's, it's, you know, wonderfully written. It's a little like your journal, but you keep going. And I kept going. And then I, then I went back to the year before and I threw out actually everything that I've, I wrote in the year after there is no year after now. It's all about the year before. Um, yeah, that is so very interesting because it it um, connects for me with what happens often, often right after loss and some for some time often. Uh, it's all about you know the death and the grief. Yes, yes. Uh, it takes some time for sure for most people to get around to the whole story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you yeah. know. Um, but it, it gets more broad as time goes on, I find, for most people who are willing to do the, <laughs> the initial painful um, right. grieving. Right. And, and it just, I, yeah, I, actually my whole, that whole second part, which was 100 pages, I turned it into an epilogue and it's so much better. It's like four pages now, but it was all about me. It was about my grief. And I, what I didn't realize is how narcissistic, I used that word before that I I felt like um, it was me and my grief. You know, I, it was, um, I, I wanted, I wanted everything to be about, about me and my grief actually for, for a couple of months. I think I was probably insufferable, but that's just how I was. That's how I got through it. I mean, I, I, I understand why you're using that word, yeah. but I, I do actually think that's a very healthy initial place to go. That to have you to be totally immersed in your own experience mm-hmm. at that point in grief yeah. seems completely right to me. Yeah. And actually, not actually, narcissistic in the sense of self-involved. Right. Just, right. That's what it looks like for many people. So well, I want to get that in for people listening. If you're only concerned about yourself, yes. go ahead. Yeah, I think it is. It's just I, it's just part of hard grieving, and I think people, um, I you know, people want to fix you right away. I know my my daughters wanted me to um, go into a uh, to a, a therapy group, and I just felt my grief was too. Uh, deranged for a therapy group, and it seemed like an oxymoron, a group, you know, <laughs> I didn't want to go to a group of other people. I, um, I, you know, and it was, I'll tell you, I did, I did go get an interview with a grief counselor. And she said, um, she said, do you ever feel like ending it? And it was like th- four months into it. I said, yeah, I do. I said, I, I just don't see a reason for living. I just, I'm in so much pain. And, but then I said, I realized that if I, if I killed myself, I would have to kill my dog too. And what kind of a person kills her dog? And that struck me as hilariously funny. And I realized I wasn't ready to commit suicide because I wasn't ready to kill my dog. But, but I also also thought, I think therapy works for a lot of people. I have friends, I have a dear friend in grief therapy now, and it's, it's helping him tremendously. But for me, writing became writing was my therapy. Was writing, therapy. yeah, writing the pages that, yeah, you know, is like you're and, saying. Yeah, you know, I do 
I do want to throw in here that for most people, I don't feel most, some people do find a group immeasurably helpful right away. Uh huh. But my experience is most people do not. That you do have to exact, uh, kind of get through that period where you don't want to hear anyone else's story. It's just your story. And I've always thought it a little odd that, um, you know, hospice programs are required to have a grief group available for the first year. But so many people want a group at one year. Yeah. (laughs) Not ready before that. That makes so much sense. It really does. Yes, you have to, you should you just get through it on your own somehow. And you do. Uh, how did you, so how did, besides singing, what, what else, what, how did you get through it? Well, I think uh, one thing that helped me a lot is that when I was trying to anticipate my wife's death, which uh-huh. was of course impossible, but yeah. brains do that. Yeah. Um, I couldn't imagine it. I just could not imagine it. And so I, I, at some point along the 10 years somewhere, I made a deal with myself that for at least a year, I could have everything that I wanted to support me uh-huh. from me or anywhere else um, if I could afford it and get childcare. Oh, that's wonderful. And it was a very, very helpful reference point because uh, it really encouraged me to just go with it, not fight it. Yeah. Uh, there's a way I'd already made a bargain that I was going to grieve and that I was perfectly fine with doing that. Wow. To me, that was the central thing. So if I wanted to sang, sing, if my kids were at school, I sang. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm not a great gardener, but that year... I wanted to put my hands in dirt every day. Oh, oh, that's... Uh, you know, there were these things that were, if I wanted quiet, I, you know, I gave it to myself. It was the most um, self-compassionate time I've ever experienced in my life. So I think that was the key for me. What would you say? We're we're only just going to get started because we have a break in about a minute. But just for starters, obviously, poetry helped you and writing helped you. Were there other things? And and I was teaching at the time and I I I had no memory, but I just made notes and I I I I just went back to work in uh, two. It was two months after he died. I went back to work and that helped. It just made time go go by. Yes, that's interesting, because I also went back to work uh, about a month after she died, because she was supposed to, this final stage of her illness, she was supposed to die in two months tops, and it was four. Uh So by the time she actually Uh died, I was broke. (laughs) You know, I I went back to work, and I expected that to be hard, but it was actually very good, maybe because I work, I'm a grief counselor. You know, so my clients were, I could use what was happening in my life and that was helpful. You know, that was, that felt good to have, to have a place where what I knew was of use. So uh, work did help me as well. It doesn't help people who have to um, mentally focus on something that's completely unrelated. Right. That doesn't help at all. I think that would be hard. Yeah. But writing and my students were writing 
wrenching memoirs. So it made me it made me more open to their <laughs> That's, work. Actually. Right. They're saying that same kind of comfort of, of familiar big emotion. Right. Let's go to the break and we'll come back to that in a minute. And listeners, you can find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. And to find Barbara Abercrombie, go to www.barbaraabercrombie.com. Be back soon. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. What sets apart voiceamerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main voiceamerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Barbara Abercrombie about her book of poetry that just came out, a compilation of poems, um, The Language of Loss. And uh, before the break, Barbara, we were beginning to talk about what helped us each during during that first year. Um, I think I would conclude that we both, because of the way that we work, uh, both both were supported by our work uh, to an extent. And also maybe I don't, I, I get the implication, maybe you didn't have to work all the time. Uh, no, I was just, te- I was teaching a uh, class, a four-hour class at UCLA um, uh, on writing, on writing memoir and personal essays. So, you know, I, I want to tell you one thing that really helped me a lot, Cheryl, is about into the third second or third month, I, I had a hard time being alone. I didn't, I, I just, I, I, you know, I, I think being alone is a muscle and you, you learn how to use it when you're alone and there's no way to really prepare or, or practice it. 
Um, but I was alone. We had a, we had a rather big house and, um, and I was alone with my dog and I decided I wanted to have, I wanted to be surrounded by writers and friends. So once a month I started something called the lit salon. I, I thought literary salon sounded a little too fancy, but they, we renamed it lit salon and all everybody who lived nearby who were either students or writer friends of mine or people who just love to listen to writers uh, would come to my house uh, in the evening and bring food to snack on and bring a bottle of wine or whatever they wanted to drink. And 10 people would read for five minutes each from their writing. And it was the most wonderful party I had ever given. We did it every month and it grew and grew. And people, um, I, I find that writers fall in love with each other. They love each other's right. I, I, I've, I think writers are, the writers I've met are the, and the students I've met are just incredibly generous, open people. And so that went on and that until the pandemic, that has gone on once a month and has grown and added people. And, um, and I can't wait till after the pandemic and we can go back to it. But, but taking, but doing something about my own loneliness was important and inviting people um, that I felt really comfortable with who, who, who had known my husband too. And um and I, I, I just, that was one of the, I think that's one of the smartest things I did when he died. Mm -hmm. What that makes me think of too, is the comfort of being with people who are willing to go deep. Yes. yes which I, yes. it's hard to be a writer yes. without that willingness, isn't it? Exactly. And they were reading personal, personal pieces, you know, I mean, heartfelt heart-wrenching real truths you know they were they weren't most uh, very few people were reading fiction most of them were reading their own you know stories of their life parts of memoir or personal essays but it, that's it exactly I, I i was not up for any other kind of entertaining or going to any kind of a party where i had to make small talk but but it was and i think and what you do you you have the same you know you you're 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 dealing with truth and what's really going on. And I think that that helps you heal. You know, what you're talking about made me realize um, with more clarity maybe than I've had before this moment that uh, grief relieved me of the obligation to be light. Oh, yeah. I, I let it go. Oh, yeah. And I had yeah. never been, I'd always been very, very shy. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't good at chit chat, you know. <laughs> I'm not shy anymore, you might, yeah. you might uh, <laughs> not be surprised to hear, but I was very, very shy. But I think it was partly uh, this attempt to be superficial. Yeah, and to fit in to places you didn't really necessarily want to fit into, and, the <laughs> and didn't have, and didn't really have the what it took. You know? right. so. Right. It's, oh, I feel. Oh, I I get that. I that's exactly how I feel because I I yeah I, yeah it 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 does free you, and I didn't want to be around anybody who I had to put on some kind of an act with. I wanted to be with people 
who I could sit and if I burst into tears, nobody would do a grief intervention or send me somewhere, you know? <laughs> yes, exactly. And it becomes a very nice litmus test, I'm realizing. I, I hadn't even realized that I was quite doing this, but you go to a party, someone says, oh, what do, what do you do for a living? And I, I'll say, I'm a grief counselor and I do a show called Good Grief. Yeah. And and the people who I won't probably enjoy talking to anyway will say, oh, how nice, and walk away. Right. <laughs> right. They want to get away from that, yes. It embarrasses people, you know. Uh, it does, it does. Isn't that a strange thing since we all experience it? <laughs> I feel as if it would be a beautiful moment for you to um, read one of the poems out, the, out of the book. Maybe you could share Trying to Raise the Dead. Uh, trying to raise the dead. Okay. Oh, what did I tell you? The oh, I don't have the little hand. I think it's 117, page 117 by Dorian Lowe. Um, 117, it's right here. Oh, I love this. Oh, this poem. I, I have three of her poems in the book, and I just adore her. I love this poem because, and I'm sure you did this too. We talk to the dead. You know, oh, we, all the time. Talk and um, and this is somebody talking to the dead, trying to raise the dead. Look at me. I'm standing on a deck in the middle of Oregon. There are people inside the house. It's not my house. You don't know them. They're drinking and singing and playing guitars. You love this song. Remember, Ophelia, boards on the window, mail by the door. I'm whispering so they won't think I'm crazy. They don't know me that well. Where are you now? I feel stupid. I'm talking to trees, to leaves swarming on the black air, stars blinking in and out of heart-shaped shadows, to the moon half-lit and barren, stuck like an axe between the branches. What are, what are you now? Air, mist, dust, light? What? Give me something. I have to know where to send my voice a direction, an object. My love, it needs a place to rest. Say anything, I'm listening. I'm ready to believe, even lies, I don't care. Say, burning bush, say, stone. They've stopped singing now and I really should go. So tell me quickly, it's April, I'm on Spring Street. That's my gray car in the driveway. They're laughing and dancing. Someone's bound to show up soon. I'm waving. Give me a sign if you can see me. I'm the only one here on my knees. That last line just left Oh, just, <laughs> it just goes right to my core, that line. <laughs> when I read that for the first time, Cheryl, I just burst into tears. It was just, it just stunned me because I just understood that poem so well. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, of course... I do still talk to my first wife, but, but I'm so used to it now. I don't think twice about it. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not, you know, I used to talk, I, we used to have more conversations at the start. <laughs> I'm a little busier now, but, um, but interestingly, the biggest way that I still communicate with her is uh, when I'm working. Uh, uh -huh. If I if I get stuck, I'll say, okay, what should I do? <laughs> and, oh, and I always get a reply. Oh, that's so interesting. I have to tell you something. I haven't told many people this, but I'm telling 
you and all your listeners, I guess, right now. But when I'm writing, I always have the radio on. And very often the word I write, it comes on the radio at the exact same time. And this happened to me so much after my husband died, I thought, oh, you're talking to me. You're sending me words this way. And I don't know how this works exactly. But then I have a little conversation with him about the word. And um, yeah, it's, 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 it's strange, but it happens so often. Um, And it never happened before he died. So I don't know what it's about. Who knows? I don't either. But somewhere along the line, I stopped caring. Yeah, right. Exactly. (laughs) You know, it just is what it is. Right. Exactly. And people have all all kinds of uh, explanations for those Uh experiences uh, based on their belief system. Mm -hmm. But for me, I am I am um, forever connected to her. Yes. Uh, Not as. Not any longer as my wife. I'm remarried. That wouldn't work. But, <laughs> but as uh, uh, sort of essence to essence, I guess. Yes, yes, and I, I, I yes, I, I think I understand. I understand what you mean in, in a way that of something I don't really understand. But um, I, um, I realized when that grief, grief for me was finite. It finally the real state of being in grief took me about two years. It took me two years and two months actually. Um, And then I still missed him and I miss him. You must sometimes miss your wife. I've just missed, miss him too. And I will always, and, but I realize I will always miss him. Um, And that's fine. That's good. Um, Because we had such a good, we really had a good marriage. It was my second marriage and it was the one that really worked. And I, I often think of the difference between missing and grieving, and I think they're different. Do you, do you feel that way at all, or do you? Well, I think that maybe what I would say is that my um, definition or what I include in the term grief is uh-huh. much, much, much broader than uh-huh. what some other people include, for instance, um, I include my gratitude for having had her in my life in the uh, basket of my grief. Ah, uh, oh, I like um, that. Yeah. I, I include the ways that I'm still, that I still relate to her. That's, you know, I, I guess for me, acute grief and lifelong grief are different. Yes. Right. Yeah. That, that first couple of years about a year and a half for me. And I want to talk to you about how specific that was, <laughs> what you just said, a year yeah. and two months. But, um, right. you know, that was acute grief. That was the focus of, of as much attention as I could make time for. Yes. Yeah. And then um, that, that passed, you know, that need to do that passed. But uh, if I, if I, let's say I'm walking behind someone who walks like her or looks like her from the back. I can, I can still have a, a drop. Yeah. Uh, Even 25 years later, uh, there is still every experience I had in grief. I touch sometimes, but not as much and not as not for as long. Right. Oh my goodness. I, I remember the first time I, it was at Starbucks and there was a fellow standing in line in front of me and he had a blue shirt and jeans. He was dressed exactly like my husband and he was about the same age. 
and I had to leave. I just, I just couldn't, uh, I, it was just, but that was early on. That was about, that was about a year and a half, I think that that happened, but yeah. Uh, that's about when I met my, the woman I'm married to now, about a year and a half. That was way soon. <laughs> Yeah, I have to say, yeah. there was a lot of crossover there. Both experiences were, right. were pretty, well, pretty I, intense. Oh, my God. I, well, my, I can be specific about two years and two months because that's when I, I went out with, with who is the guy who is now my partner. Um, and I had known him. He had been a, a, a sort of a, a friend, friend for 30 years and who had dated a lot of my girlfriends. And he invited me out exactly two, two years and two months after my husband died. And I said, if you would, if this had been six months or a year earlier, I would not have gone, been able to go out with you. But we went out and I could suddenly listen. I couldn't. Well, while I was grieving for my husband, I couldn't listen to classical music because we had shared that and it just brought up too much emotion. And I realized, oh, I can listen to music again. I can, I can uh. laugh. <laughs> I can go out to dinner and laugh. And it was so astonishing to me to have, have life switch like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, so that I, I guess I was coming out of it from about a year and few months and uh -huh. then by the time it was a little over a year and a half i could contemplate connecting with someone it didn't really end though the process with with her yeah uh, for you know and of course i don't know if you've experienced this but for me uh falling in love again was a totally different experience because of my awareness of what it means to lose a partner yes and, and I also found that having been in a really good relationship, I was a much better partner than I had ever been in other relationships too. I, there was something about, that. There, there was something I got, the gratitude and just the sweetness of my marriage. Um, it was a real gift, I realized. And I didn't realize that, I had no idea that would happen or could happen. And um, it's made a new relationship uh, kind of different than any I've ever had before. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I'm recalling when I first met my now wife, we've now been married 22 years. Oh, wow. uh, and uh, when I first met her, she was sort of bemoaning because I guess that I was her first true love. Uh -huh. And she was sort of bemoaning that that wasn't true for me, uh -huh. <laughs> you know, uh -huh. which I really understood. Yes. Uh, but I said, but without that, you wouldn't have the person I am now. Yes. I, I yes. wouldn't be yes. the same person. Right. Exactly. Um, yes. That sort of took care of the conversation, yeah. you know, um, in, in some sense. Yeah, that's exactly, so let's, exactly what I mean, too. Yeah. Yes, yeah. That happened, yeah. Let's take a second break and then come back and, and talk some more. And listeners, you can go to my website, weatheringgrief.com. You can go to the host page at Voice America for Good Grief. And to find Barbara Abercrombie and everything she does, including this book, you can go to barbaraabercrombie.com. Be back soon.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Over 20 million people in America struggle with substance use. This impacts both the people who are using and loved ones who are trying to help. Still, there is hope. Tune in to the Beyond Addiction Show with host Josh King. You'll hear from experts and get the real information you need to understand and assist in change. Change can be hard. It doesn't have to be confusing. Tune in every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I've been talking with Barbara Abercrombie about her book, The Language of Loss, uh, a book of poems and and some prose uh, about the loss of a partner. And I was really curious to ask you, Barbara, I think I may know the answer to this (laughs) just from how I felt reading the book, but I wondered if you could share how you chose what to include. Well, for I, I just I had to love the writing first of all, um, but it was also it, it would be direct. It was some some of the poetry and some of the memoir in the book are not directed to losing a spouse or a partner, but it, they apply. And mo- but most of the poetry is about losing um, losing losing a spouse, and you know it's very hard. There just wasn't that much. I spent. I spent months and it was oddly very happy months of just reading books and searching on the internet and looking for the poetry um, and for, and also reading memoir because um, there's, there's quite a bit of, there's a lot of their memoir excerpts and also uh, some personal essay excerpts in it. But I basically, I had to love it (laughs) to put it in the book. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) well my fantasy my fantasy was that the bottom line on it was um you know when you read something something uh, or when i read something and at the end i'm saying yes that's it yes yes yes. (laughs) it put me exactly (laughs) that's wonderful oh cheryl you said it much better than yeah yes was the bottom line yes Yes, that's what it's like. Yeah, that you know, so so captured. I I heard um, an interview with Mark Nepo once, um, uh-huh. who said um, it has to be so so specific that it becomes universal. Yes, you know, I love that 
and and that's another way I, I that's another thing I was thinking about as I was as I was reading and obviously we have a um, a kind of a similar outlook <laughs> so the things you chose had that quality for me of just yes that's it they got they 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 captured it right the that's uh, what, emotional that's experience. What it, that's what it's really like. Yes. I, and I was, I was, you know, it's, it's, when I started the book, I was still grieving and I, I wanted the grieving, the abject grief poems. And uh, my agent suggested that, you know, that there's sort of an arc to the book. And it, as I was going through my own arc, uh, I put it into the book. So there is the beginning of abject grief of, of that point where you can, you know, if you get up in the morning and move, you're doing well. And then the then the the second part is moving through it, just digging yourself in and doing, you know, going back to work, doing what you have to. And then the final the final part is uh, turning when your life turns into um, turns into more gratitude and. Uh, uh, and you're not you're not grieving in the same way anyway. But there is there is an arc in it, and um, it was it was fun to put that together. I really enjoyed putting this book together. I did not enjoy getting all the permissions because you know for every word in it, I have I have I'm permitted to use, and um, you know I've, I've, that took a long time. The paperwork took a long time, but I kept thinking I love the book, and it's this is all worth it. So. Was that was that just an administrative thing, or were people hesitant to have you include uh, their writings? Well, some wanted to know exactly the context it would be in, and I pointed out that maybe their poem would be next to Mary Oliver or you know Mark Doty or you know that they were in very very good company. Um, but it was administrative mostly, and also finding some of the old, older pieces. I had to, you know, my it took months of emailing various various places and discovering, you know, who owned the rights to them. Hmm. But it was administrative, which I'm not terribly good at. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you on that. Not my not my strength either. <laughs> but but you know there is. Um, there is always the the work to the passion, and that sort of describes it. That and I was thinking about that um, actually. That to get that many permissions from that many writers uh, would have to be a chore. Yeah, um, yeah, it was. But, uh, yeah, but then I would also think, you know, I I don't usually when I ask someone to be on the show. 80 90 percent of the time they say yes mm -hmm. and i attribute that to the fact that people who have grieved who have something to offer yeah want to share it yes yes i i i i think that is true and i mean that's why we're writers too is that you go through something hard and you've you know, you don't have lessons to give people, but you can you can give your story to other people, and the that connection might might in some way help them with what they're going through. I feel that rather strongly as a writer that we we have a um, yeah. If we can write and tell our story, we're obligated in a good way to do that. To do that. Yes, and I found that in terms of other. Um you know, other ways that people end up sharing. Yeah. 
uh, what they've been through, that there's a quality of, of uh, generosity to it or uh, desire to help others. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, that, that maybe is um, part of that arc you're talking about. Yes, yes. It, uh, yeah, it is. Um, do you think so? I think so. And I, I realized when I first started writing my memoir about, about my husband's death and about my grieving, um, it was really, fo I was, it was, I, I didn't want to, I did want to share with other, with people who had lost the love of their life. I did want to share what, this is what it felt like for me. And if you think, if you feel crazy, a priest had told me something wonderful. He was, a, he officiated in my husband's service. And he said, he said, you're going to feel, uh, you're going to feel, you're going to be crazy and fragile for a year. And then you'll still be crazy and fragile, but not as much so. And that was the most <laughs> wonderful thing anybody said to me. Um, <laughs> yes. I, I said, anytime I write a, write a, you know, a, a you know, you know, send anybody, you know, um, send a note to people who are grieving. I always quote that. I don't know if, you know, how many people really appreciate it, but boy, that made so much sense to me. And I thought, because that's exactly how I felt. Um, I felt crazy and I felt fragile. And I do believe that a lot of people feel that way when, when they're left. I don't know if you know, and I, I mention it quite often on the show because this is one of those things I want people to know yeah. that in the, in the few years after a spouse dies, yeah. the um, grieving spouse is at an, an astronomically higher um, uh, likelihood of being diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Oh, and really? yes, and oh. then after that, it corrects itself. It's oh. it's a false diagnosis. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. it, it really messes with your brain. And if you're yeah. used to thinking that you can think, right, yeah. <laughs> that you're a good right. thinker, it, it's quite it's quite arresting. I, I don't want to get out without you, you um, sharing one one more poem, uh, okay. which uh, if you could share the the um, Mary Oliver poem that okay. you have in the book. Yes. So beautiful. I love her writing so much. I do too. I, I want, can I, do we have to, I want to tell you one quick, quick short story about my husband. I said, oh, we're going to go hear a poet at um, Royce Hall at UCLA. And he said, oh, we're going to hear a poet. And I said, yeah, yeah. She's really terrific. And we got to Royce Hall and it was like a rock concert. It was Mary Oliver reading and every seat was packed. And my husband fell in love with Mary Oliver. <laughs> <laughs> Oh I'm my goodness! That is that is a star-crossed love there. <laughs> right. Right. He just couldn't get over all the people, and everybody knew the. You know, it was like a rock, like a rock concert. People, she you know, she is beloved. Sure. She is yeah. beloved. People were doing okay. So let's have the poem before okay. we run out of time. The Blackwater Woods. Look, the trees are turning their own bodies into pillars of light and giving off the rich fragrance of cinnamon and fulfillment. The long tapers of cattails are bursting and floating away over the blue shoulders of the ponds and every pond, no matter what its name is, is nameless now. Every year, everything I have ever learned in my lifetime leads back to this, the fires and the black river of loss whose other side is salvation 
whose meaning none of us will ever know. To live in this world, you must be able to do three things. To love what is mortal, to hold it against your bones, knowing your own life depends on it. And when the time comes to let it go, to let it go. Those words just are so powerful, so beautiful. I, I hate to even comment because, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, we know we know what that that place is. And of course, I I also think when I read that poem, which I've read many times, about parenting. Uh, I mean, oh, yeah. all my children blessedly are alive, but there is that kind of letting go. Oh yeah, that comes right. when they when they go when they launch into their lives. Right. Uh, that yes. that is also um, yeah. also has a grief to it, doesn't it? Yes, yes, it does. It's true of a lot. Yeah, a lot of. I mean, that's it's a universe. It's a universal. It's so specific, and yet it's so universal. This poem. Yeah, yeah, and she was such a um, a relatively private. Um, person, I I did not even know for a long time that her partner who died uh -huh. uh, way before she did was a right. woman. Right. Um, but I, I don't I don't think that's my entire resonance with her. But um, right. I, it was interesting when I found that out. Right. And she she re she married. I don't think she ever married her partner, but she married. I believe she married or at least she had a partner she, uh, within a, a couple of maybe five, four years afterward. And she moved to Florida of all places. So wonderful. I mean, I just I just picture her in Cape Cod all the time. You know, she's a Cape Cod person um, out in the woods. I and beach. Yeah, I have this uh, wonderful teacher. I haven't seen him for a while, but he also married relatively. Well, I married relatively quickly, but I was young. You know, he was quite old in his eighties or something. Yes. Some people just keep going, if if you will. Yes. <laughs> That's what that makes me think about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's exactly. staying in the moment, but also expressing along the way. Obviously, she mm -hmm. she expressed along the way very much yeah. so. Yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness. This has been the fastest hour, Barbara. Thank oh you so God, much for I being here today. Over. Cheryl, I've enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Me too. Yeah. Me too. And I really hope that the listeners will go find out all about you at barbaraabercrombie.com. Next week, I'll have Karen Wyatt back. She's been on the show a couple of times to talk about her most recent book, The Journey from Ego to Soul, How to Transform Your Life When Everything Falls Apart. That's COVID times have something to say about that. And we will be talking about that and leading into the holidays in these times of challenge. And we'll be talking about our book as well. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.